You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. The story is spreading like wildfire. How Walter Williams woke up from the dead in Holmes County. I asked the coroner what happened. He said, oh, they can call us a miracle. I stood there and watched him put him in a, a body bag and zipped it up. The coroner says he checked the pulse around 9 o'clock Wednesday night and pronounced Williams dead at his home in Lexington with no heartbeat. That was 10.30. And at 2.30, my cousin called me and said, not yet. I said, what you mean, not yet? He said, Dad is still here. After the coroner helped move Williams to Porter and Son's funeral home, workers were getting ready to embalm him. But that's when he started to move. He was not dead, long story short. Byron Porter says it's the first time he's ever seen anything like it. A man inside a body bag kicking to get out. So he missed it by how much? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Couple no, of minutes, maybe? Uh, no, 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 more than that, maybe. But we definitely was not going to do anything to him. And, Once and, you saw that he was. Right. Paramedics rushed Williams to the hospital where tonight family members say they're happy he's alive. Now, I don't know how long he's going to be here, but I know he's back right now. And that's all we'll count. In Lexington, Tammy Eswick, 16. I read this. And then found the news clip. And I was just like, what? So, <clears throat> but the clip that I read, the headline was, Mississippi man came back to life on embalming table. So you watch that, and, and the first question that comes to my mind is like, how would you like to be that coroner? Like, I'm getting ready to, I don't know cut the poor man open or something and he sneezes or moves. But the better question is, how would you like to be Walter? Like wake up and I'm in a body bag. Uh, I don't think so. I don't want any part of that. Jesus had this friend named Lazarus. Lazarus got sick. <clears throat> After several days of being sick, Lazarus died. Lazarus was in the grave for four days, and uh, Jesus said, move the stone out of the way, and he called Lazarus out, and here comes Lazarus, and we kind of like leave it at that. You know, Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of him. Can you imagine being Lazarus, though? Like, what's the last thing Lazarus remembers? You know, feeling a little faint and flush, and then he wakes up, and he's mummified. I mean, his cloth wrapped all over him, and he's in a tomb. Um, I, I don't want any part of that. Uh, Walter, I, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, Walter was fairly old. Um, but if that was me, I would be like, you suckers better get me out of this body bag now. Uh, I just, I don't want to be there. If you're alive, you don't want anybody thinking that you're dead. Now, in case there are some of you wise guys out there who would be like, well, you know, what if you were a spy and like you were running from bad guys and you were trying to pretend you were dead? Okay. There's that one scenario where maybe if you're alive, you want people to think you're dead. I'll give you that one. But most of the time, let's say I'm in an accident and it appears as though I'm dead, but I'm alive. I want people to know I'm alive because then they're probably more inclined to try and help me. Well, let's go a step further with this. If you've been resurrected, 
I'm pretty sure you want people to know it. How could someone who's been resurrected, how could someone who's been brought back from the dead, someone who's been brought from death to life, just go on living as though nothing really happened, as if they hadn't been given a new life? I don't really like to try and embellish or expand upon the scriptures, like maybe take some liberties, and so we can't really know what I'm about to ask, but do you think that Lazarus may have lived a little bit differently after walking out of the grave after four days? Like you and I, you know, we, we see our life flash before our eyes because uh, we are almost in an accident, and we think, man, I have a new perspective on life. What if you're dead for four days and now you're alive again? How can you be resurrected and just go on living as though nothing happened? As followers of Jesus Christ, as followers of the resurrected Son of God, we are told in the scriptures that we have become a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come, that we have been brought from death to life, that we have been spiritually resurrected. How tragic then for someone to be resurrected, to spiritually go from death to life, yet go on living like nothing has changed. Can you really even call that resurrection? I want to ask you this question this morning, not for you to answer out loud, but just for you to consider, have you met Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God? Have you met Jesus? And if the answer for you to that question is yes, the next question is, has anything changed? Since you met Jesus, what is it in your life that's been resurrected, that's been brought back from the dead. Last week as we began Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul told the, the, the church in Ephesus about the incomprehensible blessings that we have in Christ and that we have all of those blessings for the glory and praise of the Father. Well, this morning as we move on in the letter, Paul is going to describe what it looks like when we take hold of those blessings. Uh, Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they will take hold of this new resurrected life in Christ. He prays that followers of Jesus would walk in the immeasurable greatness of his power. The immeasurable greatness of his power. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, fasten your seatbelt and join me in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul begins by telling the Ephesians that he prays for them constantly. I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. But what is it that Paul constantly keeps praying for them over and over and over? Let's take a look. Starting in verse 17, Paul tells them, he says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and that he would enlighten the eyes of your hearts. God prays this, that, excuse me, Paul prays that God would give them wisdom and insight so that they might know God better and better and better, that they would know more and more and more of who God is and what he's done. Wisdom and insight and the revelation and the knowledge of him. And then Paul also prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. Now, in telling the Ephesians, I'm asking God to do this for you, to give you these things. What Paul is acknowledging is that only God can give these things, right? If Paul is saying, Lord, I pray for these people that you would give them wisdom and insight, that you would allow them to know you more and more, that you would open the eyes of their hearts so that they could see things the way that you see them, Paul is acknowledging only God can grant and give these things. And Paul is just affirming what the scriptures said before him. Look with me for a moment in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I love, is 150 verses, each one about the Word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 18, the writer says, Open my eyes, he's speaking to God, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 34, Give me understanding, God, Help me understand that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The writer of Psalm 119 is showing us that it's only God that can open our eyes to what his word means, to to what it's saying to us. It's only God that can give us this understanding. Look with me in Luke 24 for a minute. In Luke 24... Um, Jesus has risen from the dead, but no one knows it yet except his disciples. There are two of his followers who are down, they are beaten, they just, they're depressed, and they're on the way back home. They live at this place called Emmaus. Jesus is dead, it's all over. Well, guess who happens to pop up on the road with them? Jesus. 
And Jesus does something to blind them from being able to know that it's him. And he walks all the way to Emmaus with them, explaining to them that the scriptures from beginning to now were all about him, without them knowing that it's him. These things all said that this would happen to the Messiah and that he would rise on the third day. And they say, hey, you got to come and eat with us. So Jesus goes in and eats with them. And then all of a sudden, they realize who Jesus is. Look in Luke 24, verse 31. It says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Only God can open to us the scriptures. Look down in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, affirming this again. Only God can draw our hearts to Jesus. Only God can allow us through his spirit to know him. Only God can enlighten the eyes of our hearts, open our minds to who he is. Why does he choose to do this? Well, that's what Paul goes on to tell us in verse 18 and 19. He says, Father, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know you. Open the eyes of their hearts. And then listen to this, verse 18. Open the eyes of their hearts that they may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray this so that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prays that God would grant us this wisdom, this insight, this revelation, that he would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might know the hope that we have in Christ, that we might embrace the fact that we are the inheritance of God. Last week, we talked about our inheritance, right? That as sons and daughters of God, as co-heirs with Christ, we now have that inheritance. But I don't know if you missed or if you noticed what Paul said in uh, verse 18. He says that you might know what the rich are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is praying that you and I would understand that now that we are in Christ, we are God's inheritance. That's crazy. He looks at us and he sees his treasure, his riches. Paul also prays that God would grant us these things that we might take hold of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe. Let's look at these things for just a minute. And let's start with hope. Paul prays that we might know the hope to which God has called us. Why do we need hope? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I'm not saying take it away, but I have to kind of wonder, you know, why do I need that? I mean, because if you think long enough about it, you will realize that hope is as essential to us as air. Why is that? Well, 
we need to kind of walk backwards to understand this, um, but I, I believe it's worth the walk. So let's do that. In the very beginning, when sin entered the world, because of this, we all entered the world sinful. Uh, I will just let you know, in case you've ever wondered, wondered why we consider Mormon theology um, to be off, uh, one of many, 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 many reasons is that Mormons believe, the Book of Mormon says, that children enter the world spotless. Anyone have a child? Anyone want to argue? Of course you do. We know every single one of us entered this world with our hearts set against God. We came into this world with a seed of sin. And Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Nobody's exempt. Every single one of us. And then at the beginning of Romans 6.23, Paul shares some even worse news. That the wages and the consequences of that sin is death. Sin equals death. And friends, we can say unequivocally that death equals hopelessness. Death equals hopelessness. Death equals separation. Death equals fear. Death is final. It is the end. If all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. If that's the end of it, then death equals hopelessness. But see, you and I know that's not the end of it because Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death equals hopelessness. But friends, resurrection equals hope. Resurrection equals hope. Resurrection equals reconciliation and restoration. It's not final. It brings peace. It's not the end. It's actually a new beginning. And so to know that death no longer has a hold over us in Christ. To know that God looks at us as his inheritance in Christ. To know that the power that raised Jesus from the, the dead is available to you and me in Christ. This is somewhat earth-shaking, mind-blowing, life-changing news. Period. And so, back to the question from a minute ago... If you've met Jesus, has anything changed? Because you have been brought from death to life. If you've met Jesus, has anything changed? The only feasible answer to this question is a resounding yes, glory, hallelujah, amen. And so, if we're not living and walking in the immeasurable greatness of his power, his resurrection power, then we're still living like we're spiritually dead. We're Walter Williams just deciding, 
I'll just lay here. Could you just zip that bag back up? You don't want to be Walter. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us is not available like sometime soon in the near future. It's available to us now. John Piper boils it down into just three words. Resurrection, power, now. Maybe that's the only note you want to take this morning. Resurrection, power, now. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that's available to me. But now wait, there's a catch. I don't want to string you along. Here's the catch. The only path to the resurrection power of Jesus is through death. The only way that resurrection power is available to you and I is to follow Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus was not taken, beaten. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down. The only pathway that leads to resurrection power is you and I laying ourselves down in front of the one who laid his life down for us. It's what Jesus calls dying to self. If you look in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, if you want to hold on to your own life, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever lays his life down for my sake, will find it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ called Brian Mayfield, he was saying, hey Brian, are you ready to lay Brian down and come follow me? The power of God toward us, the power of God that is available to us in Jesus Christ is the same power. Paul says here in these last verses of Ephesians 1, it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the same power that seated Christ at the right hand of the Father. It is the same power that exalted Christ above all others, that gave him the name that's above every name. Same power that put all things under Christ's feet. Same power that made Christ head over the church. That resurrection power of God is available to you in Christ. Understanding this, we have to now understand that the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe in him according to his great might is absolutely, positively, not just so that you and I can get out of hell. It's not. If we are more hung up, if we are more concerned with getting out of hell, then, then we are desperate and hungry and longing to get to God. We have completely missed the point, and we most likely have not met 
Jesus. Because Jesus came not to pass out, get out of hell free cards. Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father. That's, that's what's been wrong, is we were broken from the Father by our own sin, and Jesus, through the cross and his resurrection, has now bridged that gap and said, I have atoned for those sins. You can come back now in fellowship with your Father. Jesus did not come, friends. Please hear this. Jesus didn't come just to alleviate punishment. He came to give us life. If we still don't understand why he came, then there's a good chance we're not living like he's changed anything. And it's quite possible that we're missing out on living and walking in the immeasurable greatness of his power. Jesus changes everything. Everything. Think about it. Jesus changes our condition. Because before we meet him, we are hopeless. Examine me, not an ounce of hope. I meet Jesus, hope-filled. It's shooting out my ears. I can't contain it. I now have this thing that I need just as much as air and bread and water. I have to have hope. My conditions changed. I've moved from hopeless to hope-filled. My position has changed. Because I was standing condemned to death in my sin before God, and now I stand before him righteous and just in Christ. My condition has changed. My position has changed. My identity has changed. Because I went from lost, rebellious orphan to adopted son of God. And my status has changed as well. Because I went from powerless to now having access to the immeasurable. And you know what immeasurable means? You can't measure it. So I want to make sure you're jiving with me. You cannot comprehend the greatness of the power that's actually available to you in Christ. Jesus changes everything. And I just would want to ask you this morning... Are you interested in possibly experiencing the immeasurable greatness of God's power that's available to you and me, those of us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in us? Interested? Because it's, it's there and, and it's available. Do you want to experience the resurrection power, the immeasurable greatness of his power in your life, in your home, in your relationships? Do you want that? Understand, it begins with surrender. It begins with belief. It begins with what Paul prayed for, first and foremost, that, that the Ephesians, that we would have this knowledge and insight and revelation into who God is, who Jesus is, and what he's done. The revelation that I am a sinner and that there is nothing I can do. Lord, there's nothing I can do to get this right, to fix this. I can't do this on my own. 
And thank God he sent his son who laid down his life. He lived a perfect life and then laid that life down, died on a cross to bear the weight to be the atonement for my sin, for my shame, and so thereby giving me victory over sin. Then he rose from the dead so that I also have victory over death. It begins with believing this. But it doesn't stop there. This goes back to something that we talked about when we were in Galatians. Will you move from believer to follower? If you examine the Gospels, you can go home today and read all four of them if you like. You will find nowhere where Jesus came to call believers. James says, hey, the demons believe who Jesus is. They're scared to death of him. But they don't obey him. They don't follow him. If we want access to the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us, it's not just about believing Jesus, it's about following him. The immeasurable greatness of God's power is only available in Christ. It's only available as the Father of glory. That's what Paul says, as the Father of glory allows his spirit and his word to open our eyes and open our hearts that we might know him, that we might know Christ, that we might believe in him, that we might surrender to him, that we might follow him. Let me close by saying this. I hope that you're maybe even tired of hearing me say the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Because I really determined today, I was going to say it so many times that you would say, how many times is he going to say that? Because really, if you get tired of hearing about the immeasurable greatness of God's power, you need to pray. God, revive my heart with passion for the immeasurable greatness of your power. But friends, that power is never more evident in and through our lives than when we are holding out the hope of the gospel to someone else. You will never feel more alive in Christ than when you are sharing with someone who is dead spiritually how they might have life. And you know, you you don't have to worry about whether or not they believe you or not. You have it. No one can argue with what you've been given in Christ. But if you want to see that power come to life, you step out in faith and you share the hope of the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. Because friends, remember, resurrection that you and I have experienced in Christ, resurrection equals hope. And if you don't think there's somebody somewhere around you in your life right now, right this moment, who's in desperate need of hope, you're mistaken. And if you don't know who it is, I would beg you to begin to just get on your knees every single day and say, hey, Lord, I'm still not figuring out who is that person in my path that needs your hope because I want to go and find them. They're there. 
I assure you, resurrection equals hope. What is it in your life right now that needs resurrection? Is there a relationship? What about the vision that you have for this life that you're living? The vision that you have for your family? What about the sense of purpose that you have every day when you walk out the door? Maybe that needs resurrection. Who is it in your life right now that needs hope? You begin praying and I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's going to start putting his finger right on that person. And you're going to know. I don't know if Walter Williams was like not dead but just appeared to be dead or if he was dead and came back to life. I don't know. But I do know that if you've been resurrected and I've been resurrected, we sure as heck should want some people to know it. And I don't care how old and frail Walter was, I guarantee you he told somebody, I was dead. I'm not. That's crazy. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, is that we would take hold of the hope and the resurrection, that we might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead. And you see, when we take hold of that hope, we can sing and proclaim from the depths of us, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we pray that you would revive our hearts with the hope that you've given us. Lord, for some of us in this room, we have been believers for a very long time. Uh, but Lord, we pray that today we would begin brand new, following, pursuing, chasing after you. Lord, we pray that the places in our life where we have tried to take control and we've tried to work things out ourselves, where we've tried to manipulate the circumstances where we've swept things under the rug because we just thought that's just not fixable. God, in all the places where we've been tempted to just not believe, we pray that today we would repent of that and God, that we would come back to that place of belief, Lord Jesus, that there's nothing in our life that you do not speak and breathe new life into. our hearts today being reminded that our guilt and our shame have been erased Lord Jesus because of you
In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done. It's an opportunity for us to respond to God through his spirit moving in us, through us, among us. But if you need to come to the steps or the foot of the cross and pray, we invite you to come. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, some of our leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to pray with you, share the gospel with you. Lord, this morning we pray that the words that we sing, God, your word piercing our hearts, our emotions, our affections being stirred toward you. God, that all of these things would lead to us walking out of this place on mission together for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we don't want to just believe. We want to follow you. So Lord Jesus, we just proclaim you are King of kings, Lord of lords, your name is above all names. Thank you for living, dying for us, for rising again. We thank you that you are coming back for us. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.